Hi, I'm Chris Hutchings and I'm your host. Welcome to the 10Q Interview Podcast. In today's episode, I talked to the very interesting and very, very wise Mr. Danny Denhard. Um, I took a lot away from this one. I'm sure you will too. If this is the first time you're here, I wish you a very, very warm welcome. I hope you enjoy this podcast. If you do, let me know your favorite bit on social media, at 10Q Interview everywhere. And don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this. It would mean the world to me, and I'm sure Danny too, if you share this podcast episode far and wide, there is probably at least one person, undoubtedly more, who you will think of when listening to this and would benefit from also hearing it. Let them know. Get them on it. Now, onto the podcast. We kick off now and we'll do a semi-intro. So what I'm trying to do with my guests is I have this thing where I listen to podcasts and, and they get introduced all the time and I sort of... I almost want my guests to introduce themselves because I think it's it's nicer to hear from you guys what you want to get across rather than what you know sort of I read on Wikipedia or Twitter or whatever whatever. So I, I guess my first point is when if you met a stranger in a bar or a coffee shop or something uh, and they ask you what you do, what is it you're most likely to say to them? So I help senior marketeers become better basically and that's through coaching or through workshops okay uh, and if i was to explain it in a grander way like put a marketing spin on it i'd say i'm on a mission to fix the broken world of work but that's a bit too grand for most people wow that is pretty grand what about and the most people sort of i guess marketing's ubiquitous right? everyone knows what marketing is that do, do they do they get it do their eyes glaze over or, or do they or would someone you know press you for more do you think most people get it, to be honest. Okay. Uh, but some people say, well, how do you do that? Or why is it just, you know, marketing or growth people? Right. Um, but typically, well, the reason why I say be as precise as possible is um, because that's, you know, typically my background as right, opposed okay. to, you know, I help CEOs and founders find their voice or help build company culture. Right. And then that gets into a whole, a whole <laughs> long uh, slide that's pandora's um, box isn't it yeah and you become you end up having to listen to everything that's bad about their workplace yeah okay so interesting then so as as you know this is 10q interview and i have 10 questions which um i want to get inside your mind and get people to know what you're all about um so talking about marketing like that the first question that i'm going to be always be asking is when you're a kid what did you want to be when you grow up I think I would lie if I didn't say I wanted to be like a basketball player because I was obsessed with the NBA okay. uh, in the in the sort of late 80s into the 90s. Um, but being very short like at <laughs> the time and just peaking at five foot nine, um, I don't think I could have ever ever become one and then transi- it transitioned into wanting to be a tennis player. Uh, okay. And having a grown up, and I've, you know, had a twin brother. He he was better than me at tennis, and got offered to go pro when we were young, and didn't do it. Um, and then, obviously, you become you want to become a footballer. Uh, we won't talk about football because uh, we support very uh, rivalrous teams. And then uh, you, you I want to be, a, yeah, yeah, I do, yeah, okay. And then uh, I wanted to be a sports journalist, and uh, I was lucky enough to win an award when I was fifteen which coincided with a work experience at a local newspaper. And that was the worst experience of my life and put me off journalism. I did it. Yeah. Wow. So so sports, obviously, 
a big part of your life because you're going, I, I'm really interested about the NBA part then so we how old are you if you don't mind me asking uh, I'm 14 in a couple of months okay so you're roughly the same age as me a little bit younger but NBA I mean when we were kids like that really wasn't on TV much was it I mean the odd channel four thing maybe so where, where did that come from uh, when I was growing up we were very lucky as in uh, we grew up in a really multicultural area okay um, there was a, a group of us that used to be friends uh, and we used to go and just play every sport so you know we had a recreational playground at the end of our our cul-de-sac okay um, and basically it was a basketball court it was a football pitch there was cricket like there was a big field okay. so we basically just ended up playing every sport and uh, basketball was one that I think I remember watching uh, some of the NBA highlights when I was, you know, on Transworld Sport or something. Transworld Sport, you know, Channel oh, that 4, takes me 6 a.m. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, just, you know, it's, it's it's five people playing on a, you know, on a court for four quarters and you have to be the best of the best to, to do it in the NBA. And it was just something that I found and I fell in love with the Bulls, you know, the Chicago Bulls when it was Pippin and... Um, you yeah. know Jordan everyone knows Michael Jordan and, yeah. and, that. and it was just something that I fell in love with and uh, there was a I think it was called FIBA magazine okay. which came out monthly and it, it had it and they there was like a a highlights package that I remember recording and just being obsessed around like three pointers and <laughs> and watching these uh, like star athletes just uh run games and score over 100 points it's just football can be a nil nil you know basketball can't you know you rarely get a game under 60 points per side so it was just never-ending action so i think that's why i I loved it i remember playing at school like rarely admittedly but i remember playing at school and i just it's funny what sticks in my mind about how exhausting it is because it is just up and down up and down up and down and um okay so sport plays a big part but you your sports journalism didn't really go anywhere or it didn't it didn't when the award kind of gives you the the validation that you're quite good at something um i won do you remember what do you remember what the article was yeah yeah um it was uh watford i've come from watford so um okay. you had to write about your local team i'm an arsenal fan but uh, i wrote about watford and played ac milan who were like the best team in europe at the time yeah um and we played it was like a f- fictional game. Kevin Phillips scored the winner. It was like eight ninth minute, and Match Magazine contacted, wrote a letter and said, "Like, congratulations, you've won." I got a live supply of wagon wheels, which the chocolate oh, wow. bars, which uh, if anyone doesn't know, it's got a marshmallow and yeah. jam in the middle, uh, which made my dad very happy. But. <laughs> I don't think helped with his diabetes <laughs> and then uh, I got a Watford season ticket so oh, wow yeah it's when Watford uh, were in the second division so division one now under the championship yeah. and we had Jason Lee and Ronnie Rosenthal up front so I had this brilliant experience to go and and watch and write but it's not people see the journalism side and you don't see the newsroom which was you know, full of people that literally hated what they did, and yeah, it was one of those things. But into my twenties, I worked out how to. Uh, I fell in love with the UFC and mixed martial arts, 
and I used to stay up till or wake myself up at 3am and write about the, the UFC and MMA again which wasn't very like mainstream then and yeah. I semi-automated it so I had about four different sites that I uh, semi-automated and essentially I wrote like recaps of the fights in real time and I worked out a way to get paid in, tra- in driving traffic and I was an internet okay. marketer so it wasn't too difficult back then to to drive validated traffic and I did it but it didn't I'm a morning person so it didn't really help my uh, my morning routine <laughs> no, so, uh, yeah but I it's something that I enjoy doing I still love writing and curating and creating content now but it was one of those experiences that I would never change but it was just that that time where uh, I've always I've got such broad interests yeah typically does surround by sport most of the time but uh yeah like i still love the M- mma and ufc today still love watching nba games when i have time or house of highlights is a brilliant instagram account if you just want to watch the greatest you know 30 seconds 60 seconds of the game okay i'll have, I'll have a look at that i mean that's yeah fascinating start i'm, I'm, I'm really chuffed with uh that answer i mean so moving on to question number two then um what would you say has been the most pivotal moment in your life? Uh, unfortunately, it was when my mum passed away uh, of cancer uh, almost five years ago. Okay. And it's one of those times that you're never prepared for it. And it's one of the, the sort of hardest um, periods that you go through. And for Sitma, we we didn't know how bad my mum was until too, really too late, unfortunately. And um, she was a huge impact and she still is on my life today but um, the process that you go through of trying to understand it like grief mm. um, and just understanding that your friends your family you learn so much about them yeah, and your colleagues as well so in and around those six months and three years of, of grieving afterwards you just you just really understand how impactful that is on your life Okay. Do you think you've made any, I mean, obviously the, it's, it's hard to put a positive spin on something as tragic as that, but uh, do you think that that has led to any positive improvements or, or, or changes? Yeah, for sure. Um, my my mum was one of those people that was like the trusted person in everyone's life. Right. And they're the sorts of things that you, you look back fondly and you, you want to emulate. Um, some positives are, you know you learn a lot about your friends and family you hear stories that um, you never knew and you, mm. you wouldn't know unless you ask and I think it put in perspective you know unfortunately I threw myself into work to to sort of cope and yeah. I ended up having you know uh, I went and had um, CBT which is uh, cognitive, cognitive behavioral therapy based on it to help me with some of it and um it just brings up so much so many benefits of who you are and what you do and the people who uh, touch your life and although I threw myself into work I learned so much more about myself how to handle situations when to take myself away from them like I love a walk and podcast and um just being able to handle anger a little bit more and, and process your thoughts and feelings. It's, it was a pivotal moment. Unfortunately, I'd change everything 
to to have her back but um it's one of those things you have to have to learn from and it's such a negative experience but there's so many positives you can take from it and you just you have to look back on on the fondness and how good a person they are or yeah I was, I was gonna say it's it's a shame that so much positivity comes out of these tragic events sometimes that you have to go through these tragic events in order to to see this stuff um i guess if you could bottle up the the learnings some other way you'd be you know billionaire wouldn't you but yeah yeah there's there's like four lessons i sort of you, i'd say to people around it's like spend more time with people who matter most to you yeah however much they annoy you like or they frustrate you you're it's something that you is priceless time and energy mm. and if a time doesn't you know can only work at a certain time just make sure that you you make that time for them um if you're going through something and you feel it's life-changing or it's life-changing for someone around you go and talk to people you have to talk talk and talk it through yeah. as men we used, we used to be told to be stoic and suppress it but mm-hmm. talk it through um say the words you want to say otherwise you can't have, you don't have a chance to say it so whether you're a person that wants to do it in person wants to write a letter um wants to do a video and audio note say the things you wish you said and do it in in the time that they they'll get to see it because it, it is so important that you do it and then um ask ask the questions you wish you could or you or you wish you wanted to because uh, i learned an incredible amount about my nan um, just before she passed away mm. uh, and then an incredible amount about my granddad um, who was also an important figure in my life and and uh, I had some of my fondest memories just talking to my mum by asking questions uh, and if you don't ask them you're not going to find them out or you find out too late when when they're gone so, so just you, try and do those four things Do you think you're a lot better at that now? And Are you still practising that to this day? It's a practice every day yeah and life gets in the way sometimes i understand that but i'd say that you become much better at it after you learn to to deal with it and deal with grief and your emotions and and how you want it's it's sort of the time that you have together and when you don't have it anymore all you want it is you want it back and something i've learned uh, over time is you do get better at it and you do want to ask those questions and you know, I've got a saying that no, there's no such thing as a stupid question because yeah. there isn't because to someone else it might seem silly, but to you, you want to ask that question, you want to get an answer for it. Do you know, whenever I, whenever I started a new gig, a new job, that was always my, that was my line that I said to everyone. There'll be people listening to this going, oh, yeah, I remember Chris saying that. Because it is true, right? I mean, it's, it's stuff you take for granted that you think, oh, you know, it's obvious, but you only know, you don't know what you don't know. So, um. I'm going to segue on then because you, so the next question is about advice. And I think what you've just told me is actually quite important. And I will re-listen to that and I, I will take notes properly when, when I do so. But what's one of the best bits of advice you've ever received? Uh, write it down or write it out. Okay. And you've you know we, everyone's been there where you've been so frustrated and annoyed or someone's sent something that's passive aggressive yeah and you like vent and all you're doing is you're venting to other people and it's not helping you it's not helping anyone else around you if you're just making noise 
Whereas if you write it down or write it out, you're actually putting it down. So I'm a big believer of bullet points and okay. then expanding out. But the amount of uh, emotion and energy it saves you from from wasting on other people. You know, I've uh, the example I was, was going to use is, you know, we've all worked with an idiot boss or someone that sent you something that's really stupid. Yeah. Write that email, save it in draft and come back to it two hours two days two weeks later and, and then edit it again because if you don't write it out all you're doing is stewing on it and so is that to clarify or is that to take you out of the heat of the moment and give you a chance to reflect i think clarity is okay. is most important but it is to take the heat out of what is majority like the the worst sort of time and and feeling and thoughts and everything else that you go through Right. And also, if you if you run it out and keep notes, I know you and I are, uh, have exchanged loads of ways that we we both write and keep you know voracious amounts of notes. Yeah. But you can go back to it and you can keep a record and you can understand and and reflect and review it. So I I have a practice which I go through my notepads and my notes every week to two weeks just to review it and understand it's funny, what. It's, what it's it was. funny you say understand and reflect because the amount of times I go back to my notepads or Notion or whatever. And I try and read it, and I got no idea what I was talking about, and and <laughs> whether it was a couple of weeks ago, a couple of years ago, like what what was this? Like it was just some ramblings. I'd obviously, <clears throat> you know, written down at, at the time, or you know, said into Siri as I was running or something like. But it's just yeah, it's funny. But I guess in that situation, the good stuff, if it need, if it if it's worth interpreting, and it'll it'll make sense, right? Yeah, and I find that if you can't write it down or you can't dictate it you know some people prefer that if you can't condense it into a few bullet points you won't get the most out of what you what you need to say or you want to say or you want to present yeah. there's a lot of people that just you know in a work environment they'll create a presentation and they'll just just uh just try and create it on the spot yeah whereas most presentations you have to keep coming back to yeah. if you write the notes excuse me if you write the notes and um yeah, you know, and, and you move it to post-it notes or you have a process, it's much cleaner, much more efficient to, to do it that way. And I've, I've, I've found it in people I coach or mentor or people in my team, if you create, if you create deliberate notes and note-taking, it just makes your uh, thought process and revisiting it much more, much less painful and a much more resourceful way of of being either in the moment or reacting to, to certain situations. Well, yeah. And also, if you're anything like me, if you don't write it down, you're going to forget it 10 minutes later. Are you one of these people who keeps a notepad by next to your bed? Uh, yeah, I tend to use Apple Notes more okay. more now, but I've got um, two little notepads that are waterproof. So they're on Amazon. They're, they're really cheap. Okay. But you can just you write in them and um, eat, they fit in a pocket, like any pocket. And I... Um, something that I can't remember who I borrowed it from uh, years and years ago. Someone came and spoke at an agency I worked at and they had this um, cardboard notepad and they're from an armed forces and they used to do this um, exercise. Uh, when you're in a battlefield, you work out like a swap, basically. You work mm -hmm. out whether it's worth doing or not. And uh, yeah, it just stuck with me and I always had, I've always had these like tiny notepads that I keep keep near me, but Apple Notes I've got way over 5,000 notes that so shows you how much 
Wowzers. Uh, how many notes I take, yeah. Um, I've written down, actually, talking about notes, I've written down a few uh, other lessons that I think might be interesting to to listen to, okay. to your listeners and Okay, well, so that, that, that segues nicely into the next question then about um, some of the most valuable lessons you learned. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear them. So one is, uh, the first one is never play to lose. Okay. And I think that will really, you know, that's one that you'll think around for a little while. Is um, Go into a bit more detail on that. So whether you, you're playing or you're working, like participation's great, but don't, go into it expecting to lose because you don't you're not true to yourself you don't throw your you know your true authentic self into it and i think um do even many people, if playing, do many people do that i mean i <clears throat> I, I ask that as a very competitive person and you know the whole participation thing is, is a different conversation which we won't go into now because I, I, I could go on for ages on that but i i personally would always go in it was the reason I asked you to expand on it because it kind of didn't make sense to me. I was like, why would you, why would someone do that? Um, so, so an example a lot of people use is, oh, I let my kid win or I have to let my little brother win or okay. little sister win. And I think you should never go into a competition with a mindset that you're going to lose or you're going to let someone win because you're just not going to, you're just not going to compete enough. And it, it does ring true. Like if you do it in your personal life and at work, you're setting not setting yourself up to fail. You're setting yourself up to to say to yourself it's okay uh, to lose, which to becomes a habit it, almost, does it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, habitual. Okay. You know, it only takes twenty two days to create a habit. You know, sixty six days for something that's a little bit more complicated. Eighty eight days for the most complex habits to form. Yeah. So if you let yourself lose regularly, it's going to be something you'll be you know you'll be okay with, and you won't want to push yourself when you when you really have to. So I say, don't, don't, um, don't lose twice. And no, don't, oh, oh I'm going to kick myself now. What this <laughs> one is. But it's about if you break your habit once, don't break it twice. Because um, then it's a habit. Yeah. yeah. So okay. the other couple is uh, never get into a fight in the middle of a fight because you'll be the one with a black eye. And it's happened to me a couple of times. Uh, never get into that, a fight in the middle of a fight. Yes. Yeah, so never get into the middle of, between a fight, basically, because you're oh, going okay, yeah. get punched both sides or kicked or whatever. Um, but you you do end up with the one in the black eye. Um, my dad loves to remind me of that one. Um, I feel like there's a bigger story there. Uh, I think when you're young, uh, you get, you know, you get into situations, uh, you know, if your friends have a muck about argument or fight or you go out and you end up trying to be the peacemaker or you end up as a bloody lip or a, or a yeah. black eye from just trying to, trying to uh, reduce any friction or fraction in it um and you know there's the the other one which is uh, always put you on your own oxygen mask first which yeah. they say on planes i'm a big believer in that one actually yeah i, I yeah i totally agree it's like you know you've got to fill your own glass first before you can it's the same thing right and it's funny enough we talk about that a lot my wife and i because we've got two young kids and it's trying to find that balance between i mean lack of sleep and, and all the rest of it the kids are hard work and i think that you know sometimes we were talking about taking breaks together and, and doing stuff together and and she's of the opinion that you know well we've got to do stuff with the kids and, and i was like the same thing I was like you know we've got to put ourselves first because otherwise it just becomes this 
never-ending cycle uh and you need a break and i but yeah i i think that is a really important one that the one about the oxygen mask and i think that is works across so many different whether professionally personally um in all in all sort of things um if you've ever had uh, executive training, which some companies put you mm. through, the first, you know, I've I've been in multiple businesses, and that's the thing they say to everyone, um, and it is you know relatively true. I think just as um, a lot of us are status driven or hierarchical, yep. which means often we'll we'll put ourselves second. But yeah. yeah, if you learn that saying and you do it first, then you realise that you have to put yourself. That's true. I mean, <clears throat> I'm sure like you we both you know we've had teams working for us haven't we and i think I, it's funny you say that because my my motto is always like the team comes first always and i and i always mm. try to do that but i think it's it, it gets to a position where it becomes untenable because if you're forever doing that and then this and i was totally guilty of that many several times in fact and i think that protect 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 but it always, there's always a breaking point I think mm. always and I think it's the same thing with work family whatever and I think that that breaking point becomes you put so much strain on everything that actually yeah and and yeah there's more stories there but I, yeah I think that's that that is a really important one good one and uh always create positive surprises okay like so positive surprising moments because um whether it's in life or at work, people always remember certain moments. There's like the micro moments. I always say to people, like celebrate the micro moments. But if it's positive and surprising, it really stands out in people's minds. So if something is less positive, they'll always have something positive compa like to compare it what's, to. What's been your best um, positive moment experience, whether something you've done for someone or had done for you? Uh, for me... It was probably, uh, it sounds an odd one, someone I worked with years and years ago, um, we used to go out for like a catch-up coffee okay. and we, you know, it was always someone that I really looked up to professionally and uh, we'd just, you know, for half an hour, an hour a week we'd talk and it felt often like I was the person who was gaining, you know, having therapy, yeah. being the therapist. But actually what it ended up being, and I got a phone call uh, not so long ago, actually, and they just, they've called me and just thanked me for for helping them and, and listening. And because I think a lot of times when you're senior, you, you don't want to, you know, pull it on other people and you find it hard and it's quite lonely yeah. and you're quite siloed. But I just like spending time with them because I learned a lot and learned situations that I'd end up having to be in. But just that little thank you was was big because even today that if I'm in a bit of a rut or or whatever, I can just drop them a quick message and they'll give me a a saying or they'll give me a quote or an article to read. And that was something that was great. Uh, and someone I coached recently, um, they uh, they were the most senior in their in their marketing organization and within a, in a large startup right. and uh, I do skills-based workshops. So, you know, it's all about improving skills and, and helping people navigate through the quagmire of, of mm -hmm. business. And uh, I just set up uh, like a shared presentation 
and we went from a list to like a full-blown plan and I didn't do it I just collaborated on it and gave one idea that would help change it in a couple of frameworks and after seven hours of, of in two sessions they just they were over over overly emotional on on it and just you could see the confidence come yeah. back and that's what I love it's just people's seeing people's aha moments or or it coming back and they just were so thankful you know what you, for you say for you it. say that you only gave one bit to it but you don't know how important that one bit might have been it might have been the little could have been the tiniest tiniest cog but it, it might have been the tiniest cog that made the, all the others spin and, and put things in people's I mean you know as well as I do right that you know going back to your no quest no questions a stupid question it's like no idea is a bad idea either because yeah it does the same thing you might say something and it might trigger something in someone else's head that you know in isolation your idea might be a bit rubbish but actually it, it, when you put it together with something else or something else it becomes like this you know groundbreaking thing i have a saying which is is a right now idea and not right now right. idea because People say, "Oh, you know, it's a bad idea. It's not. It's not bad. It just could be improved, or it might not work in this situation, but it might actually be perfect in another one." And I don't know if you've uh, seen the, the meme of you know you have a brainstorm and there's like all the post-it notes end up in the, in the recycling. <laughs> seen that one, but, but you have to um, you have to keep these ideas. Like you have to have a bank of ideas, yep. and just because it wasn't right. A year ago doesn't mean it's not perfect today yeah or, or for a different what... product or a different uh sector yeah no, i agree i agree i think and and the sad thing is that people are often scared to share those ideas because they almost talk themselves out of it before they've even shared it with the group which i think is, is terrible because as we've just discussed it it might not be the perfectly rounded finished article but you know, you get some other brains on it and, and other people looking at it and, and all of a sudden it could become anything, right? Exactly. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the power of of collaboration and talking to people and having the right sort of um, attitude towards towards collaborating because the best ideas never, you can come up with a brilliant idea but you have to validate and verify it. And if someone gets the same energy as you from the idea... Yeah never ending like the the possibilities that you have and how um how much you close it off it's it's the perfect perfect explain yeah i couldn't agree more so. <clears throat> i really couldn't agree more and i think the, the thing that's popping around my head now is you've absolutely raised the bar on the valuable lesson learned question i'm <laughs> just thinking oh it's a tough one to follow but um if we move on to the next one then and I feel like you might have a few examples of this as well. Is what's one of the best decisions you've ever made? Personally, um, it was actually to me and my girlfriend to to get together because I think we've just um, you realise that at a certain time we've been together for ten and a half years. Okay, but if I look back, that was you know one of the best decisions that that I've made and we've made together, and I think I've grown tremendously since being together and then professionally I think uh, when I decided to go out on my own when I didn't have to as in like go out and create a marketing advisory company um, and the reason why I sort of bring that up is there was a lot of revenue that came through my 
my department and they they knew that I had bigger aspirations and I wanted to take on more more responsibility but they said it would take between 12 and 18 months for that to happen mm -hmm. and I didn't want to stagnate because I knew that I was like in what I'd call sort of the best form of of my career and I wanted to go and help other businesses and if the business I represented wouldn't enable me to do that because there's so much revenue coming through then it just showed me that I could go and do it somewhere else and it 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 changed the trajectory of of where, where I was on and what I was doing so you know like there's always been these timestamps, and I think if something that people don't do is they don't go review their decisions okay so I think there's a there's a book by Annie Duke it's like how to decide it's a brilliant book like I highly recommend it and she also has another one called thinking in bets but she says people don't like review their decisions well enough and I, you know, like I put my career in a timeline the other day and I went from working and running in bars to like working in a small computer shop that was online at the time, early 2000, you know, like not 2000, early 2000s, right. to being a project manager, doing software and like SaaS at the time and then having to sort of unpick SEO and sort of digital. And then I went through agency side and went through different orgs and went through an IPO and took over from a CMO, COO after a sale of the business and then the mission I'm on today. All that there's a load of decisions I made at that time where I would have had to make, if I had to make them again, would I make the same ones? Probably. But there's some decisions that were like, were career defining and I think we have to make, we have to review our decisions sometimes. I, it's great, great reminder you've done well or, or you, or there's other lessons to learn from it. Yeah, I think um, there's quite a lot to unpack there, but I, I think I, I agree with you quite a lot there because I, I look back on some, I do similar. Um, I think there's lots of lessons to be learned from looking at what you've done in the past and, and the rest of it. And I think that I look back at some of the decisions I made and I think that externally people will be like, oh my God, what's he doing? Or why would you do that? But it's interesting. Your your both your um, just best decisions are very similar to mine, and I think that that's, how do I word this? I think that um, it's almost like those sliding door moments, isn't it? That um, they for anyone who's not seen the film, it's a great movie, but it's uh, it's about making those split second decisions, or no split second decision, split second things that change. And then the impact that it has further on your life, you know, down the line. And yeah, mine are very similar to yours. And I think, weirdly, one of my professional career defining moves at the time was the worst move I'd ever made. I couldn't believe it. And But having made that move and then the next move as a result of that was, was one of the better ones. And I think that it's good to, to your point and I'm being very long-winded with this and I realize that, but to your point, it is good to look back on it in the part and reflect sometimes because in the moment you can't always see the wood for the trees and it's like, oh, you know, you don't understand the value of that decision at the time. Um, but when I look back on mine, I can, again, like yours, I could see that timeline and think, right, if I hadn't done that, then that wouldn't happen. And if that wouldn't happen, then, I mean, you know, it's a bit dramatic maybe, but I wouldn't be sitting here today. Mm. Um, and who knows where... It could be better, could be worse, admittedly. But no, it's interesting that the hours are very similar, both professionally and personally. 
something that you know I've touched upon earlier was the CBT that I went through and you know I learned a lot and the one thing they teach you is how you feel like and um you know it helped me change lifestyle and my lifestyle and knowing what's really valuable and knowing that there's like you know there's a certain amount of time that you can do it and there's so many lessons that sort of learned I know you did that as a result of of your mum but do do you still do that or anything like that today I was really lucky with um I did a matching call with my therapist and she brilliant like we she knew how to like I left sometimes feeling really tired like cognitively Mm -hmm. shattered and you're not really you know if you were to read online you're not really supposed to do that but she knew that's what I needed and she gave me a lot of practices to follow so I still do some of it and you know like a lot of people could have probably benefited from a couple of sessions um in some of the lockdowns but um yeah I think it's just helped me tremendously and helped me manage me which sounds silly, but I think is something that we all kind of fight with or, or fight against. Most of the time, we're our worst critics, our own best judge. We are. I mean, that kind of segues semi-nicely onto the next question then, I guess. is What's something that you struggle with? Uh, there's loads, <laughs> but taking my own advice yeah. is, is one, like... Uh, one of my former team members used to say I was the king of unsolicited advice. Yeah, that sounds that sounds and, very familiar. <laughs> and uh, and to be honest, it is taking my own advice. Someone could message me in a second, and I could give them what I think would, is great advice, and they'd say it's great advice. But would I apply it myself? Probably not. As someone who is equally of guilty of that struggle, I mean, so you're obviously aware of it, I assume. Are you aware of it in the moment or is it like sort of, is it me asking you that question or is it something you battle with regularly? Uh, I would say, honestly, it's something that I've been aware of and when people made it clearer or clear to me, then yeah, it's something that I do. But I genuinely love helping people. Mm. I, it gen- it gives me the, the biggest energy boost. Um, so like, I found my energy sources. And it sounds weird, but no, no, it doesn't actually at all. Yeah, and you know, I found that like who zaps my energy? I need to like a negative people zap my energy, and I it's something I have to manage. And a lot of the time, I was giving them most advice. Okay. So there's a pattern there, and because I have a lot of interests and I read a lot, and uh, you know, like I learn from teaching. Yep. That's something that like comes out in, in advice and I should probably listen to that in a, in a critic a little bit more and take it on. And, but I love to understand process. It sounds odd. I did Lean Six Sigma years ago, which is you break down every process into time boxing right. and then you can basically become more efficient by removing certain processes. And again, that's like part of the advice is when I, I rarely, you know, I, I don't like to procrastinate. I don't like to not have loads of things to do. And I love, I'm one of these people that can multitask relatively well. Um, so understanding that and understanding actually that the way I work is different to everyone else. And you, you learn that across your, your life and the older you get, the more that you realise it. But there are true and 
I like to understand what makes people tick. And it's taken me lot, a lot longer to understand what makes me tick and, and energy sources than, than other people. I can find that out pretty quickly with other mm-hmm. people. Um, but yeah, it's taken me a little while for, to find it out for myself. There's, there's a lot of similarities between you and me, actually, listening to you talk. Um, I'm going to go, I'm gonna go, so my questions, my 10 questions are normally in a, in a specific order, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break the rules because I think it's a, probably an extension of what you were just talking about. But tell me, tell me something you're really passionate about. And I'm breaking one of my rules here, but is I interrupting you before you answer? Like, don't don't necessarily feel like it has to be work related. Um, I know a lot of what you stuff that you talked about, but I mean, maybe it's Arsenal, and then you can talk about something else. But um, yeah, what 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 is passionate? What what I know you just said about helping people gets you going. But what 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 really makes you passionate? It's something that I can invest time into that I get a clear result out at the end at, at the end of it. Okay. So you said I couldn't say helping people. No, 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 you can, no, 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 sorry, you, yeah. you could. That, that, that's why I asked the question because <laughs> it would have seemed silly like that question should be in like a couple of questions time. You just told me all this amazing stuff and then I come back, oh, tell me something you're passionate about and you'd be like, oh, well, I kind of did <laughs> a while ago. Yeah, if, so like um, if you'd asked me years ago, it would have just been sport. Right. And it would have been um, spending time with with people. Whereas I love spending time with my you know my friends. How would you get the less that you do? Um, and we went on a, a stag. I was co-best man, and the best time that I spent was a coffee outside in the sunshine, just chatting and catching up and hanging out with my mates. And we all. We're going through, a lot of people were going through something similar at the time, similar age and similar levels and business mm-hmm. and whatever. And we just gave each other some tips and advice and just laughed. And that that makes you passionate because you're you're hanging around with your friends and your family and you you want them to be great and good and happy and and that. So that's what I've become passionate around. So for me, it's you know like well, the reason why I say helping people because. Some people don't have, don't get the opportunity to be helped or don't ask yep. for help. So for me, it's you know if you can help someone rediscover it or find themselves, then that is what makes me passionate because you help someone become either realize who they should be or where they want to be, or you just help them and it helps their day and puts a spring in your step. I think you know I'm, I'm really passionate about coaching. I always wanted to be a coach in sport, and then want to be coaching careers and, and whatever else because most career teachers if you look back 20 years ago or 25 years ago when you and I last had yeah. a career counsellor or whatever they were called back then you know my the thing that I could look forward to most apparently was five stars at McDonald's <laughs> which isn't a slide but they obviously said that to me as one yeah, <laughs> uh, so yeah it just shows you you know like if you can help someone actually coach their skills it's much better and gives me like so much more energy and you can after an, if after I've done a coaching session or I've helped someone and it's gone really well or I've pushed them and they've had a moment where you, a micro moment for me that like I the rest of the day I'm super chuffed like I'm happy and well interest I want that feeling interestingly I read for other people. I read somewhere yesterday that helping people is one of the biggest keys to happiness. Yeah, the, the saying, 
I have to try and dig it out now. But it said basically said happiness and riches come from helping people, and um, yeah, it's something I I I subscribe to that as well. I think it's I think it's important. But no, it's good, and it's good that I guess what you're doing in life is with that passion. I know everyone's talking about monetizing passions these days, and you know, it's a bit of a, a, a dodgy topic in some cases. But no, it's it's lovely to hear um, to hear you talk about it like that. So. Going back to another question then. So do you think people's perception of you is accurate? I like to think so. Uh, I'm quite an open book generally. Um, as in like what I say isn't, I try not to mix too much you know, status or politics or anything into it. Um, I like to be open to, with people. Mm-hmm. You know, I attempt to be the best friend I can be and, a supporter and a good colleague I think that's where most perception is is sort of taken on board and, and understood you know I've got high expectations and standards of myself and I have actually lower um, expectations of other people so I used to always say I've got, you know, I expect a 9 or a 10 out of 10 from me and you know 7 out of 10 from my team or people around me it's because you can't hold anyone up to the standard you hold yourself because it's really challenging and you'd probably struggle to explain it to someone. And I used to be ridiculously ambitious, like probably Elon Musk-style ambitious at some points of, of my life. And, you know, I actually didn't receive feedback on it until uh, a few years ago. And that that helped me put things into perspective. But I think most people's perceptions hopefully accurate or or they wouldn't say too much different okay it's nice to hear so i'm gonna pick at the ambition part of that answer so you said elon musk style level of ambition was that from a money focus or from a business focus just as like a, a perceived success perspective okay like if i was oh, you wanted to be seen um, as an elon musk type as opposed to no, not definitely not seen as one. So I, you know, like I definitely wouldn't put myself on like that. You know, the Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, um, sort of stoicism style leader who who works a lot and has to be a billionaire. Just ambitious, as in want to get the best out of out I of see, okay. um, projects or campaigns or. Um, you know, if I worked at a company or a brand, I wanted them to be seen as the best brand with the best product and um you know even to the point of i'm still really friendly with some of people you know ex-colleagues and and that and still have walking talks and coffees with, with a few of them and you know one said fairly recently that um you know i used to have a saying that be, you know around products they have to be easy to learn easy to use easy to share easy to personalize and if it didn't go in that order like I wasn't, I was very deliberate in feedback and very deliberate in trying to get people to re, repurpose or reposition how it was because that's how things were. And my ambition was to be the easiest, the best and have the the industry leading product because that's the way that you help other people or you become successful from a monetary perspective. Or, how, how did that feedback you know, generally go? Or how was it received? Uh, rather, I think sorry. It, generally well but as as most things if it's you know the second or third time of 
of giving the same feedback. You have to be a bit harder and more direct on it. But oh, it's, oh, it's, it's interesting you phrased it like that. I thought you were going to say different. Actually, I thought you were going to say that you maybe word it differently. But direct is a and harder is a is a good phrase. This is the you know language and communication is so important. Like language, sentiment around language. So we can, I can say a sentence, and I mean it in the best possible way. But if it's not written down with the right commas or hyphens or breaks mm-hmm. in it, it can sound overly direct. And I think that's where people really struggle with Slack and Teams and email, is because the context sometimes isn't there. Oh, or the right. Hundred percent. I think not even just at work. I think that there'd be conversations you have with your friends and your girlfriend and your family and they're like did he and you, you write it down in a hurry meaning something and what you've written and how it's interpreted are totally different things and then you come home and your your wife or your girlfriend's like angry at you <laughs> what's, what's yeah, going exactly. on uh, but you know the the thing is i learned from a young when i learned i was dyslexic for instance i used if I couldn't spell a word or had no idea how to, you know, now it's a bit different. You can dictate to a, mm. to Siri or Google and it will give you the spelling. And then back then someone told you to go and look it up in the dictionary. But if you had no idea how to start, I'd have to rewrite a whole sentence because of the word I wanted to use. I couldn't spell it. So <laughs> you had to change. Therefore you had to then find better words or different words yeah, or, yeah. or what have you. And you had to be really uh, deliberate. So, so when people say, uh, you know, like I'm an inbox zero kind of person, I don't hit zero, but I'm usually as close to zero as possible. But I'm, I'll spend a ridiculous amount of time trying to find the right words and the right phrases and break it down in a really uh, eligible way and way for people to understand that. So a tip for people is uh, I, the worst advice I ever got was be less British. I used to work in an American company uh, and it was a, you know, it was meant in a positive, but actually it was like completely culturally missed the mark. But it's because I would put, you know, fluff as they would call it on top of emails and ask how people were and, you know, give questions. And that was because, you know, typically they wouldn't respond in the same way as if it was that. So there's um, bottom line up front, which means you put the most important information at the top and then you put the, um, you know, more detail underneath it. So what you want people to yeah. to action or say, you put it at the top and you clearly call it out. It's a military style um, technique. Then you put it out and then you can put more information in. So in a, um, you know, in like a business sense now or even in like a WhatsApp chat, I try and be as really clear as possible and then add some detail underneath just so people, everyone's on the same page. Likewise, with you know, I found as a project manager twenty years ago, to working with teams now, is if you don't put an explainer at the top and say why it's important and the deadline and most important information, for weeks you're going to get asked those questions. Yeah. But if everyone has the same access to the asynchronous, you know, communication or documentation, it's all in there, so they know that's the one source of truth. So, are you a fellow hater of the hope all is well opening of an email line? I use it and I actually think uh, you should Do you? want to. Yeah, I think you should. I think, interestingly, we could probably talk about this for hours. Yeah. So um, I think that if you think it, you should say it, like in, especially in a work context. And 
you know, but the, but trust and hope. Does it not lose meaning though when you know you're sitting in an not office it, and you get you 30, it. 40 emails a day and everyone starts with, "Oh, hey, Danny, hope all is well." Because I agree with but you, I do, that. I do think it, and I, I used to get stick from my team for this because I, I, I never put it in, and weirdly, it sort of coincides with your sort of being more direct in, in the message, and it's, and it's obviously not that I hope you're not well. It's just, I, oh, yeah, you're right. We've probably talked about it for ages, but it's just, yeah, but just, just to sort of, you know, dot the i's, cross the t's on it, is if you, you, if you network with someone, you have a good rapport. Mm-hmm. You know what their pattern is. You know their pattern. You know what's acceptable, what's unacceptable. Yep. So you know the reason why Slack and Teams and that seeded really well in companies is because you could either be overly friendly, mm-hmm. or you could be really direct. And the the nuance is really important, but it's very hard to understand the difference. And who you're really close with, you'd have more conversation. Who you weren't, you wouldn't. But if you work with someone closely or you work with them well, you know what you're going to say and how you're going to say it and you understand tone and structure whereas if you don't work with them very often so like for instance I always tell you know anyone who's senior in any company other than a CEO you need to befriend the CFO like you have to be you know you have to be friendly with them you do trust trust their well you do hope they're well and you do hope they're not too busy because you're going to be taking mm-hmm. time the, the difference in most of life is the older you get the more time pressures you become but in the work environment, time, you know, you get 40 hours a week or more, depends on how you work, yeah. your working style. But you don't want to take too much time because you're always asking or taking. So that's why I say you get, you have ask fatigue or you get take fatigue because someone's always asking you for something and someone's always taking from you. You're really given something that you yeah. want. So you're really given time back. You're really given something you haven't asked for. So they're like almost like, you know, those... Uh, surprising moments positive surprising moments so if you can be um if you can be more human and you can talk that way and you you want to have that and you build that rapport you can remove that after a while you don't have to say it to every yeah, 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 or every external vendor but i do think you should have manners because manners cost nothing 100 percent agree that's one of my phrases in life okay so before i move on to the next question then I'll ask you a very quick end follow-up to that. Do you use emojis in work communication? Yes or no? Uh, Yes. (laughs) Fair enough. Lightening the mood a little bit, and I know you mentioned podcasts earlier, of which I'm a a fellow fan, but I'm really interested in what sort of content people consume regularly. And uh, I'd love to sort of hear what, you know, your thoughts on content consumption. As I've got a curated newsletter that goes out every week, I'd be lying if I didn't I didn't have every type of content that I consume. My favourite, however, is a podcast for okay. sure. Um, so escapism for escapism for inspiration, like you said earlier. Um, I'll go and find time to go for a walk to listen to podcasts. What, and put what podcasts sort of podcast in. do you listen to? Uh, sports, business. Um, I listen to, um, I do listen to some crime ones uh, every so often. I love like things like serial, you know, startup, all of the cliche ones where, you know, I've been listening to podcasts since they've come out, but the, the ones that you binge, I love listening to them. So for instance, uh, I had a call this morning 
and uh, it was a really good call and we talked around podcasts for a little bit and I sent this huge long list of podcasts for, for them to listen to and it was like life and um, variation and there was a few business ones so the I'll give you some recommendations uh, for people the HP scandal uh, is brilliant it gives you an insight into companies and how people operate and how people operate at the worst level so the HP scandal is brilliant it's a wondery podcast okay. um, so it's told really well um, the founder in which is the Amazon story by Brad Stone who's written the book on, on Amazon twice that's the one you, you, you told Brilliant. me about a while ago actually I, I started listening to that I've got that I think I'm on episode 4 of that at the moment and then there's things like the high performance podcast which is you know high performers talking around what they've done or what they yep. do uh, I find that far more useful and interesting uh, on that and I think they've done a great job being a you know, celebrity TV presenter and um, and a sports psychologist talking to people from sports, from music, entertainment, all the way through. So, you know, I listen to everything, but it's just something I love. And then to because it's escapism and give me inspiration. But another sort of comparable is people always ask me, "Oh, what's your favorite movie?" or something like that. And film for me is to stop is to stop thinking. It's the you know, 60 minutes to to two and a half hours of just getting away and just concentrating and deep diving into something that's not life and not business or sports related. Okay. So that's the opposite side of for me. And do you watch a lot of films? Not as much as I used to. I, I'm a box set kind of person, so I love, uh, love the whole idea of bingeable TV. If something comes out weekly, I'm not the... I'm not as patient as I used to be, but uh, oddly, I'm finding there's a lot of stuff on Apple TV Plus now, which is, which I will regrettedly hate myself for saying it's okay to wait a week for some of the episodes. Ooh. Okay, so to, to end it, to close this question off, then give me one one must see box set. Uh, must see box set. I would say The Shining Girls, which is brand new on Apple TV Plus. It's a bit dark. Okay, but um that that's kind of got me hooked um and it's one of those each not 100 percent sure what's going to happen i love the fact i so love the fact that you just told me one i've never heard of i you know i imagine most people would go for the the big hitters in that question but like the shining girls he called it yeah okay i'll add that to the list and check it out okay final question then when you think about the future what do you see uh, potential opportunity and love sounds a bit cliche but no it's great that's what I see do you want to expand on it yeah I think a lot of people we've all lived through two two and a half years of of you know quarantines lockdowns all sorts of different experiences and I think we've lost the the ability to see potential and see things and people are living and rightly so living for like today and tomorrow but you know if long term we've got a lot that we can be thankful yep. for um and there's a lot of things that we could do we're in a in a place now where you can set a podcast up in an afternoon you could you know you could record a video and if it's something you wanted to do you could go viral or you could write a book and there's hardly any barriers to entry now. I, do you know what? Distribution I, I to, and seeding. Sorry to interrupt. I, I totally agree with that. I think the tech that's available these days for the price 
you know, in many cases, totally free sometimes is just staggering, right? I mean, yeah, it's phenomenal. But I think, you know, the challenges of, you know, you, know, you and I both ex or recovering marketeers, mm. right? So, um, you know, seeding and distribution, I said, I randomly looking at Chartable, the podcast index, uh, like league table, essentially. And only five of the top 20 aren't from big celebrities yep. and don't have a network behind them, which just sort of shows you the the challenges some some podcasts I, I saved that and, tweet that you did and I've, I've, I can get cheesy myself now. And I've, um, I've got that printed off upstairs and I've written, that was my kind of visualization goal for a year's time to be in that chart. There's a... Um, all in podcast, all in one podcast, all in, and it's got some of the most well-known investors on the planet and you know high-end business operators, and they've only just hit the top thirty. Well, do you, and, do you know what's funny? And I know you've done podcasts, so you'll probably fully appreciate this. You probably went through the same process I did of looking at hosting solutions and the rest of it, and they're all priced on these bandings and you say it's like X amount of pounds for ten thousand downloads and twenty thousand downloads and. You think, oh, you know, what am I going to go for? And you start, and I, and I had to check myself and say, what am I talking about? Like, is it like don't even shouldn't even worry about it. And I tell you what was really interesting. I don't know if you're familiar with a guy called Danny Miranda. Have you heard of him? So he he's a podcaster, and he check him out afterwards. He like some of the names he's had on his podcast are huge, like properly huge names. Um, and he's come out of nowhere and he's, he's a total inspiration for, for anyone who wants to be podcasting, like check out his journey. It's, it's really incredible. But he tweeted, um, recently, a couple of days ago, something like just hit 10,000 downloads a month. And if you had asked me prior to seeing that tweet, I'd, I'd have gone, I don't, I don't know what I would have said, but it would have been significantly higher because, you know, you assume he's very good. He's very thorough. He's very well researched. He asks great questions. Um, the guests he's got on are, you know, some real high caliber people. And even and even he is getting, you know, numbers that you wouldn't really think about. And then you look at sort of like Tim Ferriss did a podcast and, you know, he's hit 700 million. And there's this kind of real massive gap in between. I mean, it's like anything, anything, you know, top level sport and amateur sport, isn't it? Right. It's, 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 there's a huge gap, but, um, yeah, it's kind of fascinating. Like what you probably have to do to actually get into those charts, I guess it's the top 1%, the, the Rogans and of that, of this world. But I don't know. I mean, what, what were the numbers saying on that, that to get, um, sort of the lower end of that it's like anything if you like i believe and i've i'm spoke at conferences and and different things and you you know you make you create a presentation or you know concept for for the between the 10 and four thousand that attend Mm. and you're not going to land everyone and they wouldn't necessarily all sign up for something that you do afterwards But the the way that you're taught is to, you know, the way that you are recommended is to talk to individuals yep. and then you build connection from it. And then you get nods and whatever else. And it's the same with podcasting on newsletters. Like podcasts, we um, 
the I've had to so fixing the broken world of work. Um, I knew it was going to be for a lot of like HR professionals and um, people that are really interested in company culture and a little bit about um, like some of the economics side of it, or the, you know, the behavioral economic side of it. And it got into, I think it was the, it was really random. It was in a really random country and it got in the top 100. And then I got an email and I was like, oh, that's good. And then I never looked at the download numbers on that because it was a passion project. Yeah. And then uh, when people forwarded it, I loved it. And like, if I got one bit of feedback, I saved it and put it in my notes. And that sort of shows you where is um, the future state of, which was a podcast that was all about the future state yeah. um, of really specific ones. I was overly obsessive around how far that was spread because it was entrepreneurship and, and business. And we got in the top, I think it was the top 10 in Nigeria in business podcasts and in Sweden and Estonia and Australia and like, okay. and stuff like that. And I had these emails from these people that English was probably like a language they'd never spoken. They obviously would try and use Google Translate or whatever you. And it was just that feedback you got and the download numbers were really small. But I love doing it. And that's what sort of overtakes. And I think we've got to this point where, uh, this is a rant, so I'll try to keep it short, um, is we've kind of got this over, we've become this metric driven, everything's about data, metrics data, and data, driven data, by it? numbers. And you know what, like in the 60s, do you think Coca-Cola created a product that they worried about some of the, the numbers because it wasn't trackable and they didn't care as long as it sold products that and it you know landed pretty well they were quite happy likewise in the 80s where things started to pick up people would use that pepsi challenge i don't know if people are familiar with it pepsi gave people like a cap full of pepsi versus a coke and pepsi out one because it's sweeter and they know that people love Mm -hmm. sweet first and the longer it goes the the less you enjoy it because it's too sweet or sweet enough and that stood out for me when i was a kid has always stayed with me and it, although it's kind of manipulative the way they did it and they knew we were going to win out it really impacted coke and coke had to come back but it, it was a tiny 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 um way of doing yeah. it and it scaled because they could use it in marketing and i think we've got into this point and marketers do it and companies do it the database obsessed, um, so data obsessed, and they become dashboard obsessed, and they become so worried about they're fixated on numbers, where that doesn't actually help you do better work. It just helps you become more anxious around things. So it's the same with with podcasts. And if you become solely worried about views, if you put it on YouTube or if you've got a newsletter and you push it out there, it's just about that downloads there. Whereas actually to be successful in podcasts you have to do a few things you have to game your algorithms on spotify and on mm-hmm. apple you have to have you know listen times extended you've got to have people that share it etc etc there's all these things that are so difficult to to control then that I, all i'd say to people if they appear on a podcast speaking in front of an audience play sport in front of a in a stadium if you make impact between one to 10 to a hundred people, that's better than a hundred thousand. Listen to it. They don't really care. hundred yeah, percent. And I think like, my biggest takeaway from that is I am doing this podcast as I love chatting to people. I love learning from people. You know, I'm a lifelong learner as the cheesy saying goes. And 
I'm a huge podcast fan and it just all made sense to me. It's like, well, why don't I use that passion for podcasts to talk to people like yourself and learn from you? And ultimately, if I put it out, if I learn from you and I learn interesting things, then I know that other people will. So if I put it out and five people learn something, then coming back to your point earlier about helping people and, and the rest of it, it's almost like a perfect circle. And it's enjoying that process. They say to, you know, enjoy the process rather than worrying about the outcomes, don't they? And for me, as long as I enjoy the process and I, I kind of don't really care. I mean, obviously, you know, it'd be lovely to monetize it and sell to Spotify for a hundred million, you know, whatever, but I'm also a bit of a realist and, you know, I know the likelihoods around there, but it's, um, yeah, I think that's a really, really great way to end the podcast. Um, Danny, I'd like to really thank you for your time this morning. I know you're a busy guy. Um, I would also like to, I think, as I mentioned earlier about one of your questions, I think you set the bar uh, really, really high on this. And I've sort of come into this. It's a new thing for me and, and my expectations around what I thought it would deliver have been far exceeded this morning. So I just want to say thank you. And I appreciate you um, sharing your time and your knowledge with me and the five other people who can listen to it. <laughs> thanks. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm going to put something out uh, when the podcast goes out and I have a few of the, the sort of links and podcasts and uh, some of the messages that have helped me over time. So hopefully it helped the audience too. Cheers, Danny. I appreciate that. That was 10Q interview with Danny Denhard. If you made it to the end, a huge sincere thank you. I hope you really enjoyed it. Feel free to share any thoughts on any of the social channels at 10Q interview everywhere. Love to hear your feedback. That's all for now from me. Make sure you've subscribed wherever you are listening to this. And the next 10Q interview podcast will be live very, very soon.